All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you'll experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are I. Okay. All right, everybody. So I've talked about this podcast that I'm about to do right now just in such great detail with everybody that I know for 
ever since I first reached out to Josephine and she agreed to be able to do this, I am so excited. I've looked forward to this minute, this hour, these hours we're going to spend together so much. And it is such a privilege and such an honor to be able to have you on the podcast today. And welcome to We Are Up. Oh, thank you so much for your invitation. I also very much look forward to this podcast. Actually, it's one of my first English ones. So I'm very, very excited as well. Oh, and you know, maybe that's a good point to bring up with everybody. Um, you know, like this is live from Germany right now. So um, this is, we're reaching all the way across the ocean. We're kind of connecting the four corners and that's kind of some of the benefit, not only about being online, but you know, with COVID-19 too, it's just allowed us to be able to explore more opportunities online. And, you know, I just, I love connecting with like-minded people from around the world. And this is a byproduct, some of the limelight, some of the silver lining behind um, COVID-19 and this whole situation. So um, thank you so much from, uh, from Germany and just agreeing to be able to come on. Yeah, so, for sure. Like we talked about it at the beginning, I want to know why, like I, I'm a science junkie. I love it. I, I feel like it has a lot to do with growing up on a farm um, in Southern Alberta, just I've always just been connected with processes and engineering and the science and the biology behind it. Um, but fill me in, like what connected you? Has it been a, a lifelong from childhood or what got you in specifically um, leading up to molecular biology? Mm -hmm. I say it was really there from childhood on. Like I always had questions in my mind how things work around me. Like why do we need to breathe? Why do we need to eat? What's happening with the food? Why are... Um, leaves green why is the sky blue like I was having quite of like some of these questions as maybe most of the children have and I always wanted to like know more also in school I think I was an annoying student I was <laughs> asking <laughs> quite some questions and did mostly not get answers that I wanted because they were just like yeah maybe a model or something so i really wanted to understand things mm -hmm. and that's why yeah i started to um, study biology and also in biology like then i realized ah it's again models and so then i was like oh let's go into molecular biology like really go into the like you know into the cells like into protein interactions um to understand more to really yeah dig deep but Doing that for nearly 10 years, I understand, still there. There are still a lot of models, yeah. <laughs> still not so many clear answers. So it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are some of the things like you, have you found that the more that you investigate, the more the questions you end up having versus answers? Because that's the one thing that I find, you know, specifically like with biology, it always leads me to like, if I have one question, instead of getting one answer, I end up with 20 other questions and still no answers. Do you feel the same way? For sure. Yes, I completely agree. Like it did nearly drive me insane during my PhD, actually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, like, how, like are, you, are you still like very connected? With it? Like, is it something that just wakes up like every day in like biology? Because I know for me, like it's, I, I feel like it's one thing that stayed constant in my life that has never wavered. Like my love for biology is just, it's like a cornerstone of my life. Like, do you go through waves or is that, is it such a part of who you are? Like, that's just your driving force every day. Mm, like still my, my, my curiosity has never failed. Like that's something that has always been there all my life. Like I was always curious about how things work and actually work, like really wanting to know how and why. And um, that was always there. But definitely I reached a point in my life where I was just so annoyed by science. 
<laughs> like just by how science works, yeah. like how we publish, how we research, and under what kind of pressure, like even financial pressure, um, research is done. I, like in Germany for sure, I don't know in the US, but I imagine it's kind of the same. Um, that I, yeah, actually did quit science because of that. Like, because I was feeling I cannot actually perform and research my best in the kind of cage that I am in and that I need to perform in. And yeah, that made me feel like unhappy actually. Mm -hmm. I actually do find the same things because I feel when there, there's interests involved in science and outcomes that I almost feel when it comes to science, we should just as a population on this planet say, we're going to allocate X amount of dollars with, and there's no real oversight from it. like, obviously from like a book keeping and money management perspective, like we would want accountability, but there should be no vested interest, you know, in relationship to, I gave you this money. So I want this opinion because, you know, I know, far too many examples now you know like when you have human beings in that equation they're they're influenced by situations like you know like a scientist needs more dollars so you know like they need to publish these certain outcomes to keep the dollars coming in like we know now in canada and the united states that scientists have been bribed you know by by big food to be able to publish certain results and stuff and we've changed the face of our countries from a, a nutrition perspective mm -hmm. to incorporate this data and then we find out decades later it was all on the foundation of lies mm -hmm. you know so like i think that's that's a worldwide problem you know either you have um like private companies who want to give this money to be able to get these certain outcomes or on the flip side that you have governments giving money that also want these certain outcomes but it's like the one true thing besides just like freedom of thought and expression that should be there is like scientific outcomes and data and research and just allowing that to be mm -hmm. like exactly what it is just like the freedom of facts like the freedom of finding out because like i could see your frustration like you know just trying to be able to navigate in a world where you don't actually feel like you can put out the results that you want because it might jeopardize the money that comes along with doing the research yeah like for sure like i i was really like it was like I, when I started to study biology, I mean, I was like 19 years old. I started and studied like five years and then I um, began my PhD and there was like another five years. And really during that process, I could see like, oh, that's how it actually works. Oh, damn. You need to write, you know, like a proposal and you need to apply for funds. And what do you write into the proposal? You write like the keywords that the reviewer wants to hear. and so you actually apply for where the money is because you need the money because if you don't have the money you cannot even sometimes like pay your own salary so yeah. it was very clear to see how how research works and even like i mean i was at the max planck society but if you were like in a big pharma company i could just imagine how things are going there like you know where the money goes yeah <laughs> and how they what were some of the things that you researched when you were in the labs? Like, you know, like when, you know, writing these proposals or like when you were there, when you were entrenched in this, like, what were some of the topics that you, that you explored in your everyday? Mm -hmm. Like I was actually making a big protein interaction network. So I researched how proteins bind to each other. And we had a, a research question, of course. And that was if protein interactions are changed 
if you have a neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer or Parkinson or Huntington, and if they are maybe like common changes between all these diseases because they kind of have similar outcomes like disease outcomes so we wondered if also on a molecular level they have sim similarities and i researched that for yeah five years and i screened like i don't know thousands ten thousands of proteins <laughs> so that was my work it was big big data like a high throughput approach yeah what were some of the like your findings like what were some of the things you found along the way that were just like incredible to you like just like those moments where you're like, yes, this is the reason why that I wake up every day to be able to research this. Was there any big moments that you came across? Oh, actually, there were many, many of these moments. Like I, as I said, like we did high, high throughput research. So it is not that you're focusing on one little protein looking for the interaction with one other little protein, but you have like really like plates where I grew, grew actually yeast, like it was a yeast to hybrid approach, which we modified um, like to include a kinase, but that maybe goes too far. And then we looked for phosphorylation dependent interactions. And like actually every other week I would go, I would be so excited to go to the lab to open like the 30 degrees um, like place to have a look at my plates and see where yeast is growing. And you could sometimes even recognize with a pattern like, oh my God, this is really like, it's not growing in the control, but it's growing here where we additionally express the kinase. So that might be a phosphorylation dependent interaction. And I would be like, <laughs> I would be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it, and those things that, you know, just, and that's the one thing about like, that I love about science too, is that like, like you say, you open these and you're like, this is where it should be growing. Then you're like, but why is it not growing there? Why is it growing over here? And like trying, like, it's just, it's always like opening up like little gifts of paradoxes that don't seem to make sense. You're like, oh, and the, the sheer mystery of biology and how as much as we want it to make sense, there's this one tiny little medium change. Then it just completely shifts the way that you have to perceive like all this information and it just starts flooding in. And that's where like the one question instead of one answer is like one question to 30 other questions and it just keeps going down that road um do you think that we don't really have the capacity to be able to understand science and especially biology i do believe that yes yeah i it's think that i felt for like quite passionate about for like a long time that because it's so complex and there's there it's not black and white there's not a singular avenue like there's there's thousands of things that come into play. And like, I just, I, I feel like we're so outside of the realm cognitively to be able to understand all of the moving parts when it comes to biology and how like A affects Z and Z affects negative three and negative three affects purple and like all these combinations of different scenarios that we can create. Um, where would you feel like we're on that scale from your perspective? Like, like of what we actually know about science or how we can even interpret what science and biology means? Like, actually in my, um, <laughs> in, in my PhD thesis, I like the first, like, you know, like in a book, you have like a first side and you can write like a little comment down. And um, <laughs> I kind of made, made a fun already in my diploma thesis. Eh? I was writing down in German, Der Wissende weiß, dass er glauben muss. So it means some, somehow like the person who knows, knows that he needs to believe. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really found. Like I was always having this drive to get down to the truth. But I realized it's so hard to get down to the truth. 
like to really know that's really, really, really what's happening. It's so hard. So in the end, there's still this belief. So when you ask me how much do we actually know <laughs> on a scale from one to 10, I have no idea. Like, I think, but we are, we are for sure like underneath five. Like yeah. that's, uh, I think for sure. But I, I don't know. I think we have scratched the, the two, but <laughs> maybe in between three and five, maybe somewhere there. Well, see, and you know, like I find it, like scientists, you know, and especially in like reference to biology, I feel like need a lot of um, a lot of measures to be able to loop you back around to sanity, you know, because like these rabbit holes are just like, like there's such intense avenues just to be able to drive yourself crazy because it is like constantly spinning in circles where you said like, you just kind of have to like, you believe like we know, and that's where I would say to people like, we need to be able to, to trust size when we find these you know, like these conclusions out these like scientific facts, but at the same time, there's this underlying like um, air of like, well, what else is happening now that I believe this? So, you know, for example, like we were obviously here to be able to talk a lot about, you know, like cold therapy, cryotherapy, ice baths and all that kind of stuff. Like um, in, in my example of that is like, okay, well, I know going in this ice bath is like, I love the norepinephrine release, you know, that you get from it. But now I'm like, okay, well, I go in this to be able to get this um, norepinephrine dump. But then you get back down to like regular life. And you're, it's just like you're operating on like this platform of like, well, this isn't how life should be. But it almost makes me feel like this is what it might, must be like for people who are on drugs. So like, it's like, now how, do I, yeah, now how do I manage not wanting to go in the I think more, you know, versus not becoming hyper adapted to norepinephrine, then you have to chase some other avenue, you know. So like it's it's always like this give and take, and I find myself in these situations all the time, and especially when it comes to like all the different things that I research in relationship to the body and biology and just like nature and the connectiveness, because like the more that I realize like you know my body and like our bodies, and you know like obviously we have this fascial layer on our body that like helps our body communicate and move you know then i talked to um uh, like a microbiologist who, who specializes in mushrooms and mycelium layers i'm like well now we have this fascia on the body which is like mycelium underneath the ground because the mycelium connects like the trees together and the plants and there's this glucose exchange around like which is a lot like this fascia layer so and then you get to the japanese forest bathing and taking off your shoes and getting down into the dirt and i'm like i see how all these things are connected and you see what happens to my brain like it just is like on fire. So that's why I respect that people like you talk to me, but this, this is like, this is the excitement about me having this conversation and why I know a lot of people are probably like, Blake, settle down right now, but I just got to pick that brain yours. I know there's so much information up there that I just want to know. Um, and maybe this is a good time to segue into um, to ice baths and cryotherapy and cold therapy and like jump in now, like how you got into that. Like, you know, because obviously like you're a Wim Hof instructor, you know, like, like walk us through that whole process of like, you know, you have your, your PhD and you're a molecular biologist and now you're into cold therapy. Yes, actually it all started with science. So I got interested in the Wim Hof method by watching a video about Wim and I thought like, oh my God, he's crazy. And he can walk up that mountain just in shorts and somehow it triggered me. Like I was thinking, can I do that as well? And I just don't know that I can do it. That was like one start. 
and then he continued and he says like it's all scientifically proven we can influence our immune system and then i was like do do like how <laughs> wait <laughs> how does that work and but Wim did not explain so much about it so i checked the science behind it and i was pleased to see that they actually studies done about the wim hof method so i had a look into the studies that that have been done like i read all of them and i was super fascinated because i could see yes there are significant changes in the immune system of these people like of the participants versus control and i was like okay so he was telling the truth like he looks a little bit crazy acts sometimes a little bit crazy but yeah. He's, he's saying the truth, like it's definitely the Wim Hof method is doing something with people's yeah, immune system. So at that moment, I was still working for a biotech company, uh, actually in business development. So I was the one that um, would contact companies or research groups to ask if they would analyze samples within our company. We would analyze all kinds of samples, like blood samples, um, but also any other thing you can imagine. And so I imagined that these people that have done the study with Wim probably still have some of these samples stored because that's what researchers always do. Like they always have something in the fridge left. So I was like, I write them in emails asking, hey guys, do you like to analyze your samples with our super amazing um, <laughs> tool that we have? Um, and they were very excited about the idea. And they said like, yeah, we would love to do it, but we really cannot afford the research. So I was like, damn, that's a pity because it would be so amazing to do that because they just focused on some metabolites, like you mentioned already, um, norepinephrine. And they analyzed that, of course. Yeah. But I was like, oh, there are so many other hormones and I know that our technique can do it. So, um, I actually convinced our business that we should have a cooperation with these people <laughs> to analyze the samples um, because it's a great project. There's also like great publicity involved, to be honest. So I was doing my job as a business development <laughs> person to, yeah, to kind of put together the two ends of somebody who needs something and yeah we also wanting something so it was a perfect match. And what so was we, the time frame here? Like like when when was this? Um, that was in 2015 when I read all the studies and in 2016 I first Skyped with, with Wim and his daughter Isabel. Mm -hmm. um, but even before that, like early 2016, I contacted the researchers from the Wattbaut University and told them about my plans and then we set up the corporation and after we have set up the corporation like the research corporation i contacted also wim hof and um the inner fire team which is a company behind um wim hof and yeah that's how i got to know wim yeah and when we did the study which was also it was all going like very fast and suddenly which was also like maybe it must be around may 2016 something like that um I visited um, them in the Netherlands and um, I was there to, to help with the study and a little bit like supervise it and check it and um, from our company. So when I first got there, Wim was like very, like very much like Wim. He said like, oh, you definitely need to do the breathing. You need to have an ice bath. And I was like, oh my God, I was not, not really prepared to do that. I was there just in my yeah, business function, but Maybe one part of me hoped that I would go that way, but 
it happens. So I did um, <laughs> experience the Wim Hof method. Um, Wim teached me and I was blown away. Like I was like so impressed what the breathing is doing and what the ice bath is doing. And actually like, after these few days in the Netherlands, there was already something in me that said like, Josephine, you should become an instructor. You should be able to teach that to people. That's amazing. Because the reason why I studied biology to come back, like make a back loop, was always I wanted to help people. I want to, wanted to understand life and the human body in order to help people, to create a better life, like a healthier life, a happier life. And we talked about how research goes and it's all like oh sometimes very annoying and very hard and i also i i did see that yes i was working with my yeast and that was interesting but i could not it was not that i would see how my research is really making the lives of people better but with this method i could see that within like 15 minutes of breathing I could see how much it does and it, it impressed me and I wanted to be able to share that. So already back then I was thinking, oh, I want to become an instructor. And yeah, actually I did sign up for the course in 2017 and made the course, got to know many amazing people. And yeah, even before I was finished with the Wim Hof Instructors course, I knew that I actually, I need to quit my job. <laughs> I need to, <laughs> to like change and I need to rethink everything and restructure my, my life and um, come back to my, my ideals, like my, my ideas about helping people and yeah, that needed a change actually in career. Of career. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got one kind of more superficial question and then one a little bit more in-depth question of what you just said. The superficial one how long did you um, sit in the ice bath for the first time you did it when you went to meet Wim in the Netherlands? Oh, I don't know. Like Wim did not have a timer. Yeah. I did not have a timer. Um, Just ballpark, like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. So oh, like, like it was definitely under, under 10 minutes for sure. Like maybe, maybe it was five minutes, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so Wim is very much about trusting the feeling and, um, I was in there and I was actually so surprised by how easy it was. I thought it's a lot harder, but it actually was pretty easy. I mean, I also had Wim next to me talking to me <laughs> and guiding me through, but I was actually like so amazed by how powerful and strong I am. And I think that's also one of the main things that people get from the Wim Hof method and having an ice bath, they experience how strong they are physically and mentally. And it doesn't even matter how long you are in the ice. Like, you know, if like two minutes is already all you need, like in two minutes, you can learn so much about yourself and you feel great afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and I completely agree. And I like, I just like the excitement in my body when you talk about like going to the Netherlands to be able to sit with Wim and just like, cause like really this is very old school techniques. There's a lot of cultures in the world that have like, that incorporate these methods either from like, you know, dunking like relatively newborn babies into freezing cold rivers to leaving kids outside while they're, you know, eating in their strollers. 
uh, at like, well, the parents are inside at a restaurant eating, they're leaving their children outside and stores. Like, but he's really brought this to like the absolute forefront. And like, you're kind of talking when like the popularity was just starting to like, to ramp up and you were, you were a part of that, like at the beginning, like you were, and from a research standpoint, where it's, to me means so much more than like a bunch of likes on Instagram. Like, like that's like, like where you said, like you've seen this, that's, that's the beautiful part about like women. Like he's like, make me this tool for science. Like, it's not like he's trying to hide anything. It's not a proprietary blend. It's not like, you know, like this, this patented thing. Like, he's just like, take me, use me, study mm -hmm. me. Like we need everybody to understand like how mm -hmm. beneficial this is because mm -hmm the sanitization of our lives over the last like 50, 60 years has led us to this point where like, we don't even know what we're capable of people were, we're so scared to be in cold, to sit in cold. Like, like where you alluded, where it's like, trust the feeling, trust what's going on in your body. Like know that your body, you know, has like an actual, like, like physiological response to be able to handle this through these multiple different like molecular processes and just, just go through that and be comfortable within it because you are amazing. We are amazing. Not one person is doing something more extraordinary than somebody else. Is one person happens to realize that we can. And like what you said, like you can, he can, I can, mm -hmm. we all can. But I feel like the foundation, like the, the Wim Hof uh, method of just sitting in ice baths or being in the cold, where what stigmatizes that as being bad from the beginning is the old wives tale that if you don't put your jacket on when you go outside and it's cold, you're going to get sick. <laughs> and like, I fight against that. With, it's amazing how many people still buy into that narrative. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, it's actually completely the opposite. Like there's no magic bacteria that floats around in, in the air in the, in the winter time that you're just going to magically get sick. And you know, like, you know, your immune system gets stronger being outside in the cold, like just all these things, but we still want to buy into that. So the minute we step into that environment, you immediately think that you need to exit that environment. But it's nice that these methods are starting to come out and it's becoming so mainstream where it breaks the mold. So people have an opportunity to realize how amazing we are. And from a biological level, the cards are stacked in our favor. Simply because mm -hmm. we wake up in the day, like they're stacked in our favor to be resilient in the most adverse conditions and the most sanitized conditions. But we just want to live in 72 degrees or 68 to 72 degrees. You know, like we want to sit in our chair. We want to drive in our car. You know, like we want these perfect clothes. Like we just want that. And then when we step outside, it seems so uncomfortable. We immediately assume we can't handle it. And that's like mm -hmm. what you were saying. Like 30 seconds is good. Two minutes is good. 10 minutes is good. Just realizing the capacity of yourself as a human being that's the most beneficial part yeah exactly and for sure like this method and the movement behind the method will also change people's belief because like yes we have more people being ill in winter time but why is that is that because of the cold or is that because of lower vitamin d supply because lower like, you know, like day, the days are shorter, so you have less sunlight. Um, and there are amazing studies out there that actually point away from the cold towards other reasons. Mm -hmm. for one, for example, being vitamin D um, shortage in winter. The other one being in winter, like we are always in, like in our rooms, as you said, and we like to turn up the heating so it's nice and snuggly. And actually this, like the air, the hot air um, of the heating and the dry air is 
like drying out our mucos in the nose and in the throat. And actually that makes us a lot more like accessible or prone to get a disease, to catch a flu. So it's not, it's not the cold. It's actually your nice, warm, comfortable, <laughs> um, um, heated environment in the winter. Yeah, and it is all those things, you know, like where we're, we're, there's more people in smaller spaces. You know, I know over here in North America, like we've turned a lot to electric heat versus mm -hmm. natural gas heating our homes and our businesses and our schools, which dries the air out even more. You know, people, like you said, they're less active. You know, people are probably eating a little bit more. Metabolism starting to slow down. You know, like I said, vitamin D stores are low. It's like everything that we do that we think is good to do, like, hunker down, you know, just stay in your house, all these kind of things. Like that's the narrative that we've bought into over here to help prevent getting sick. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, I've, now I need to get a flu shot on top of that because, you know, if I, but I have to worry about going outside and going to get this flu shot, you know, versus all these other preventative measures that, that we could do that are just, they're natural to our body. And our body has built these systems into it to be able to say, okay, yes, it's, it's cold, but the, like, I can strengthen my immune system like this. And, you know, maybe this is a good time to be able to segue into everything that you know about cold therapy and being exposed to cold and increasing your white blood cell count. Yeah, for sure. Like that's really like one of the main advantages of actually taking an ice bars. And there are several studies about this with people that did winter swimming. You can really see that these people, they have, a higher count of white blood cells and it goes up in a way it stays up the whole winter season where they are doing this and white blood cells are the cells in your body that are actually dealing with viruses and bacteria so helping you to to stay healthy and the more you have of them <laughs> in a way no, you cannot say the more the better but let's say higher is better um of course it comes to a, when it comes to a too high level you have leukemia but let's <laughs> talk about it. that's not happening when you have an ice bath yeah. um so it's like very beneficial to in a way polish that system and to to activate it a little bit um so that's the one part but also interestingly like it also has another part to it like the activation or changing of the immune system and that is I find, for, especially for people that suffer from chronic inflammation, it's very, very beneficial. It has been shows that, shown that um, the cold is actually seems to reduce inflammation levels. So it's reducing um, interleukins, like that are kind of messengers in your body that promote inflammation and they are which, Cold, reducing these messengers that are responsible for promoting inflammation. Um, and like there's one study, I think that's a study, the most like until one, uh, until now, the most popular study um, from Matthijs Cox in the year 2014, um, where it's shown that actually interleukin 10 is going up. Interleukin 10 is one of the messengers that is known to actually make like the body less inflammatory. Yeah. Um, so like when you have a look at this one study, you can already get a glimpse about what the Wim Hof method is doing, what the breathing is doing and the cold. Um, and I really like think it's super fascinating that like the Wim Hof method seems to be so beneficial on the one side by activating 
the specific part of the immune system, which is like the white blood cells, for example. Um, like if you think about oh, what is a white blood cell, like give me a, a hint, like for example, like B lymphocytes and T lymphocytes are belonging to the white blood cells. And these ones are known to produce, for example, antibodies, which you need to innovate, vaccinate yourself against um, diseases. And I find that super interesting that this is happening. But on the other hand, like the unspecific immune reaction, like all these pro-inflammatory um, messengers are reduced. And like first when I did stumble across it, I thought like, oh, does that make sense? But then I think, I mean, that's what we observe. So it must make sense. Maybe we cannot make sense out of this, it, but it, that's what's happening in the body. And I think... Um, it is because things in our body don't go from A to B to C, yeah. but they, they, it's a network. Everything is a network. Everything is connected. And there's so much that we don't know. Um, and we know that we don't know it, but then there's also so much that we don't even know that we don't know it. So, and I think um, for everybody that has tried the cold as a therapy, for example, or when you have chronic inflammation, everybody feels that something is happening and something good is happening. The people have less pain. The people can start to move their joints again if they have a rheumatic um, inflammation, for example, in their joints. They have less of a swelling in their joints. And so like we have seen so many of these pe like people getting better. And I don't only mean me and the Wim Hof method, but there's a lot of studies done in Germany and maybe even in Canada, I don't know, um, about how cold treatments and treatments um, being in a cold chamber with minus 110 degrees are actually reducing inflammation levels and taking pain away. And people are able to move again because they don't feel pain. And it's like I'm... Like, I think we will find out a lot, lot more, um, but I'm just amazed by what we already know um, and observe how it, how it helps. We maybe don't know why it helps in all details, but we see that it works. See, and you know, like a few things there to like to touch on it. Like, so like what I see, you know, being like a hindrance there. And I think that you see it and like, we all kind of see it that, you know, we can like like doctors can prescribe like professionals can prescribe cryotherapy cold therapy ice baths jumping in a, a cold lake a cold river all these things to be able to help but again how many people want to invest a ton of research dollars into something that they can't really make money from but mm -hmm. the health of our population could dramatically increase because not only like do you like that i feel like i haven't taken a tylenol or an advil and i just probably 10, 15 years. I would be scared to take one now, like what would happen to my body because I choose to do things like this on a regular basis because I want to be preventative instead of reactive. So I want to arm my body with the tools that it has um, beforehand because you know, like, like when you were saying with inflammation, when I talk to people now and you talk about anti-inflammatory properties and you know the release of cold shock proteins and you know like, like these kind of situations, I still feel like people are stuck when you're like, well, but my knee hurts. And I'm like, yes, that's a portion of it, but there's inflammation going on in your entire body all of the time. And this brings down all inflammation. It's not localized inflammation just to one area. You know, so like there's a lot of inflammation that we don't feel in the sense we don't necessarily quote unquote feel it. 
we don't understand that's happening. But when we reduce that taxation on our body, when there's not the energy spent or by trying to, you know, reduce that inflammation by not having the right tools, what are some of the systems and like that our body can then focus on because it doesn't have to focus on trying to reduce that inflammation. Like what we know about biology where there's tons of cause and effect going on all the time. Well, if you can reduce the inflammation in your body by, you know, approximately about 60%, quote me if I'm wrong, you know, what, what's the spinoff benefit of that? Like what are the other things that are going to be enhanced? Where, where are other areas of our quality of life going to go up as a result? Cause now the body's like, I don't have to do this but now we can allocate all these resources to doing these other things. Mm -hmm. um, have you noticed like over all the time, like working with people and yourself, just like, like what are some of like the most amazing, like anti-inflammatory success stories that, that you've come across? Like personally, like you've alluded to some of the studies that you've read and some of the narrative, but have you seen anything or witnessed anything firsthand? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like um, a mother, like of a good friend of mine, actually, she is already over 70 actually she might already be 80 i'm not so sure but um, she is like she had like inflamed joints joints so sometimes like the hands deform in a way that they cannot even be opened anymore willingly and it's all very swollen and she started to do like um cold swims sometimes even twice a day and she was able to move her hands again more smoothly and she says like it's not so swollen anymore and actually they they live in in, in denmark so in copenhagen and they have access to the water and it is so like i'm so happy to to hear that because she's feeling better she can you know like cut her own things again for food and without pain and i mean that's that's amazing like i would love that that story makes me very happy um but also like you said some of us like even younger people we might not have symptoms like strong symptoms so not like the typical chronic inflammatory like chronic inflammatory disease but maybe we have things like once in a while a headache or for women pms or we have an allergy or we maybe feel bloated in our belly um, or, or, or like these little things that we cannot really, you know, we cannot grab them. We don't know why do I have that, but it's there. And maybe we have accepted even because it's not like, like, you know, on a pain level, it's not like uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. No, it's below that. So we're like, ah, oh, yeah, it has been there all my life. It's, I always had menstruational pain. I always had PMS. So, ah. I just, it's okay. Um, I always have, have like a belly problems or cannot go and um, to the toilet regularly. And people don't even think about that. But then when they change something, they sometimes observe other things that they did not even connect are changing. Um, I had people that um, actually had less allergy symptoms, so less swollen um, yeah, noses, um, less sneezing. Um, I, for myself, observed like a betterment of menstruational pain, but I, I only see that in the winter when I can do it like regularly. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, because in summer it's harder here in Germany to have an ice bath um, so often as I, as I did last winter, actually. And I could see like a, yeah, a betterment. And um, some people can sleep better 
some some people have less belly problems. I have a young young man um, who is like he's in the beginning of his twenties and he has um, like a Crohn's Crohn's disease and like all these problems. He can eat like he has trying he's trying so many things. He's like on a very strict diet and even even although he is on that strict diet, like with no alcohol, no coffee, no gluten, no tomatoes, no, like you name it, like he's really limited. And still then he's having sometimes belly pain. And since he's doing the breathing and the cold, he got a lot better. And he also feels like he has more energy again. Mm -hmm. like, like his disease was always combined with sometimes with phases of being like super tired and lethargic and that helped him. And um, yeah, that's also makes me very happy um, to, to see that progress um, with him. And he is, yeah, he's saying it's coming from the, from the cold and the breathing. So yeah. And like the, the, the examples that you just alluded to right there, like the spin-off effect that we're saying, like outside of any physiological, you know, like expressions of genes that may happen because being in the cold and the breathing techniques and all kind of stuff is that quality of life. And I think that we all know when we actually feel inside us that our quality of life has increased, then the gene expression that happens because of that, then you have like a, a twofold or a threefold increase of positive hormones and a positive gene expression going on in the body. And you know, like these are things to me that. I don't understand why we're so resistant to it. And I say we loosely because, you know, like, obviously, I don't know what it's like in Europe, but, you know, in Canada and the United States, like, there's a lot of resistance towards how can things that are natural be so beneficial. And the one yeah. thing I think would, like, wake people up now is obviously we know, well, I wouldn't say obviously, we know now that there is a massive correlation of vitamin D deficiency in relationship to COVID-19 exacerbated symptoms. So like something as simple as going outside, something as simple as, you know, being outside and getting some fresh air can stack the cards massively in your favor, which is natural. So we have a natural therapy that can help prevent COVID-19 outside of obesity, diabetes, you know, age, you know, all these kind of things that alone can help everybody across the board, you know, but then again, now, like we're talking about, Hey, why don't you take your jacket off in the wintertime or put a lighter jacket on or, turn the heat down in your house a little bit or all of these different applications. Like, why do you think we're so resistant to that when our bodies right now are arguably like millions and billions of years it's took us to get to this point. So how we wouldn't have an intense connection with all the other biological entities in this earth and just be this absolute perfect specimen of anything that we're going to come across in this world, our body will have an adaptive process to be able to deal with it. But we stand in the way of that wanting to believe that our bodies don't know best and the environment around us can't help us. Why do you think we're so like inhibitive to that? Oh, I think we are so used that <laughs> doctors are telling us how we are feeling and what will help and what will not help that we in a way we have put power away from us. We have put power into doctors and power into pharma. Like we believe pharma more than, than ourselves and than our feeling, than our own yeah, intuition. And I think that is one, one big part of it. And because people 
are trusting that their their doctors and trusting like i mean more and more people are criticizing and asking but like there's a huge majority of people um like over 60 that say oh yeah i take these five pills <laughs> three times a day and i don't even know what they are really for but my doctor said so <laughs> so yeah. i mean this is happening here in germany as well but it's especially i think the more older generation i think the younger are asking a lot more questions about should i why should i do that and it's chemical what are the side effects and here comes a big another big thing and you already mentioned it a little bit in the beginning and that's always actually what i love to say and point out is that these things are well studied mm -hmm. and doctors and people love to have science about something so they're like oh but there was a study done with these people and they had a look and if you take this medication then these symptoms get better and so it's all in a way researched and then i mean i know how research works so <laughs> i know that you can in a way focus on like some you know you can focus on some symptoms and you can also take out some other symptoms out of your you know yeah. out of the equation you can just not look at them like it was never like never anybody was asked oh about headaches or other you know like you can really play around with it yeah confirmation bias right searching for the results you're looking for yes exactly that's what i'm good word i don't know that word in english but it was yeah that was exactly what i meant and then of course you will find what you want mm -hmm. and if you're a big pharma company, you also don't mind spending big money into like huge studies because you know you will earn big money once you're selling your product. And it might be a pill or it might be a device, but you're earning. And of course, if like nobody <laughs> can sell ice bars, yeah, nobody can sell breathing, we can all do it for free. So if of course there are some studies about ice bars and the cold and breathing but not so many and with very little participants. Mm -hmm. And then I always hear, oh, but that study was just done with 24 participants. And here, big farmer, I mean, they do like a thousands. And I say like, yeah, I actually, I would love that we would do such studies with natural remedies, mm -hmm. like with a cold, with breathing exercises, with meditation, yeah. and then see what's happening. But the sad thing is that nobody is paying for it because it's free. And yeah, you said that in the beginning and I, at that moment I thought like, yes, yes, he, he knows what I'm talking about. And I, I think more and more people understand that as well and things will change. And if one day we are living in a society where research is not so caged anymore and limited, um, I think that will be a huge shift. Um, and this is sorry to cut you off. This is my my argument to this though, is that it's not that research itself needs to be changed. It's that our perception of what research is needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a message that needs to get out there because, like we alluded to already, there's been cultures for like trackable like centuries, you know, if not thousands of years that have been doing this. They may not have understood from like a science lab perspective, you know, but if we can track that cultures for, you know, even call it 
500 years have been exposing children to frigid cold waters when they were almost newborns because they knew that it was beneficial. They may not have been able to, you know, produce spreadsheets and slide decks and all these great presentations because, but they knew, like we know, I think we know when things are beneficial. So how is that not considered to be research? You know, or like you said, like breathing, like people have been focused on breathing techniques for thousands of years and it's trackable. We know, but we want to discredit it. Like if we're just like, well, I can't believe somebody would, as a parent is so irresponsible. You'd leave your child in a stroller sleeping outside while you went into a restaurant. It's like, but why? Like as soon as we're faced with something that looks different than what we're used to seeing, we're immediately used to discrediting that. And I think that's what happens in science and research too, is that if it's not in a lab within the last maybe 70 years, there's no way that it can be researched. There's no way that it's valid. We, we won't look at these cultures that have been doing breathing techniques and exposing themselves to cold and to hot and, you know, like all these different scenarios. We, we don't want to look at that, but like we as a people, before it gets to like a, a doctor, before it gets to a scientist, before it gets to like a, a, an invested business interest or a governing body, like we need to look back at like what we've connected. It's like, like traditional Chinese medicine, you know, like all of these different systems have been in play for a lot longer than what research in a lab has. And we've made it this far. We've made it to the apex species on the planet, the best possible time for knowledge and research that has ever been around. But we've discredited almost every process of how we've got there. And I really think that like things like cold therapy and breathing like are, are one of them. And you know, so like when we start to make those like those societal shifts of how we perceive the information that's sitting right in front of us, is going to be a huge leaps and bounds to be able to allow researchers and research scientists be able to come in on the backside of that and say, okay, now that we're all on the same page, let's actually stack some real science on top of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so this goes, so back into like the real science perspective, this is a question that not only I have, but when I ask everybody, I know what's the number one question they wanted me to ask today. So we could talk about it um, is, do you know, do we know, or has there been studies of what, well, actually you start here first, is cryotherapy better than cold baths? What's the difference? Is there any application to, um, to cold showers? And this is my stack on top of that. Do we confuse a norepinephrine release with an adrenaline dump because some forms of cold therapy are too topical and don't last long enough that the real big expression of norepinephrine would be released in the body. So I know that kind of throws you under the bus. <laughs> and I apologize. So many questions. <laughs> it's so many questions. So let's, like, let's start first with, I think first we need to define what cryotherapy is. Mm -hmm. And like in my understanding, it's like when you, let's see cryotherapy first separate from ice bars. Mm -hmm. So cryotherapy is something with temperatures below a minus 110 degrees Celsius. So you need to translate that into Fahrenheit, I guess, for your, your listeners, because I'm not able to do that now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about, uh, I, I think like the common ranges that somebody would typically find if they suck it out. Um, Cause we're in Celsius in Canada, but I know a lot of those. Ah, are still, right. 
yeah, they're still in Fahrenheit. People understand the Fahrenheit, I think, a little bit better when it comes to these things. It would be um, about 160 to two, minus 160 to minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Because even though we're Celsius, a lot of our stuff still comes by way of Fahrenheit too. So, mm -hmm. uh, Great. So that's good to know. So, um, yeah. So let's say we talk first about cryotherapy with a minus 110 degree um, Celsius. Um, also here we need to differentiate two main um, things. One, one is like the cryosauna and you may have seen like on Instagram all these fancy photos of people actually looking out out of the cryosauna um, chamber like the head is actually not getting any cold and usually they are run with um, liquid nitrogen mm. and then that's the one thing but then you also have cold chambers and they look a little bit more like a sauna. Like you have a door that you can open, you go in and your whole body is exposed, also your head. Um, and these two are actually very different from each other. So never like get tricked by say, like if, if people talk about cryotherapy, always ask, where has the research been done? And most of the things that have been researched have actually been researched with cold chambers, meaning, meaning your whole body is exposed to minus 110 degrees. Um, so when I wrote my, my book, I in a way always separated these two from each other because it is like really, really essential to separate them because in the one, you don't expose your face. You don't expose your whole head. But actually, if you expose your face, you can directly activate um, the vagus nerve. Oh. And that comes over, like, because like you have your trigeminal nerves in your face. And if these are activated through feeling cold, they are directly linked to the vagus nerve in your body, which is promoting things like rest and digest and like lowering your heart rate, things like that. So something that's very beneficial. Mm. Actually, well, and reducing inflammatory um, inflammatory symptoms in, in the gut, right? So also, yeah. also like the vagus nerve um, has its name its name because it's like vagabunding around <laughs> in the body. Like it's involved in so many processes. Like there has been um, the FDA just like a while ago already. Um, there's a, a device is like a vagus nerve stimulator. And that's for people that suffer from depression that is resistant against medication. And they get this um, pulse generator, like it's somewhere implanted like in, in the um, yeah, shoulder area, um, shoulder neck area, and they actually get better from this constant activation of the vagus nerve. And so, but you, you don't need that um, because the only thing you need is some cold into your face. and you are activating your vagus nerve um, just by, in a way, a few splashes of ice cold water into your face or dipping your face into cold water or going into a cold chamber where your whole head is exposed. So always ask people like, do you know where the research is done if they talk about cryotherapy? What do they mean with that? Do you mean cold chamber, whole body, or do you mean cryosauna where actually not all of the body ex is exposed? So I just like a quick question there that comes from the effervescent effect of standing um, like in the tube, because like, obviously it's like a tube up to your shoulders mm -hmm. your face, like, through the, the effervescent effect of like the, the cold, 
coming up through the body. That coming across the face um, when stimulated, or is it too mm. warm by that point in time? Does does the air heat up too much by the time it gets above shoulder level outside of it, and then get to the to the yeah. Yeah, it gets too warm. Also, like these machines have been designed in a way that actually um, the, the nitrogen is not coming into your face because if you would inhale too much of that, you would actually be fainting. So actually the, all these machines want to make sure, that, like these tubes want to make sure that you're not getting nitrogen inhaling it because it's a gas. And if you inhale that in your lungs, you become dizzy, you become a headache, you can faint. And nothing worse than fainting in a in a cryosome yeah. so um so you will not get the effects also um there has been studies about the temperature in the cryosauna and usually the cryosaunas claim to have a lot deeper temperature than the cold chambers like a lot deeper like in germany they would say like our chamber is like minus 160 degrees um, celsius or minus 196 um, degrees celsius but actually, if you measure inside, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem, doesn't seem like that. And it comes because the, the vaporized into the tube only on the backside usually at certain points. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a cold chamber, like it's like a fridge. It's like a giant fridge that's very, very cold. And you really, like it's more stable. Like you really have the temperature. And I don't know if you have tried the two of them, but, but I did. And I can really say I feel a difference. Like yeah. the, the cold tried, chamber. Yeah, I've only tried the colder. cold chamber. Yeah, I haven't mm -hmm. tried the, um, like the little pods. I've only done, mm -hmm. like, or sorry, I haven't tried the, cryo, um, yeah, the cryo pods but like the cryosauna where your whole body is in. And mm -hmm. I've tried it in two different ways with circulating air and mm -hmm. non-circulating air. Non-circulating air is very easy to go the distance. Um, but when you circulate that air and you bring the wind chill factor into it, that is tough, really yeah. tough to be uh -huh. in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like for me, it was like in German, like we usually call them cold chambers, the one that looked like a sauna. So which is like a little bit strange, maybe <laughs> like that naming. Um, but I felt like so relaxed after that. Like my whole body felt like a like I gotten a massage. Like I felt like so loose and ah, it was amazing. And um, how long do you go for? Like for three minutes. Three minutes. Mm -hmm, three minutes. I was it was great. So. Like coming back to your question. So if we have a look at cryotherapy, I definitely recommend the whole body exposure, like including your head and your face. Also the technology behind seems to be more stable in a way like providing like a deep temperature. So I recommend that one. And most of the research also has been done on that one. So like there are three arguments for choosing that one over the other. Um, although the other one looks more fancy and you can make better photos to post it on Instagram. <laughs> but <laughs> the other one seems to be better. Um, so um, like in Germany, we have done research with that since the 70s. Um, there was um, like two, two labs in, in Germany. Actually, they treated patients. And in Germany, you can actually get a prescription for like a two week, um, like, a, like in a way, a stay in a hospital for two weeks, where every day you get one or two treatments in a cold chamber. And that has been done 
in the since the 80s in Germany. Um, wow, like that people, would be incredible. Yeah, it is. It's still like it's still done. Um, usually, people go there, like elderly people with um, very high um, yeah, inflammation levels that have chronic inflammatory disease, like rheumatic disease. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, there we have generated huge results, um, especially in combination with physiotherapy, like cold chamber plus physiotherapy. So that seems to be like very like a very trusted method. Also, it is as I said, great for old people because the shock to go into that temperature is actually, you might think, oh, minus 110 degrees, that's like a lot colder than if I have like an ice bath. And temperature-wise, that might be <laughs> might be true. But actually, because water is conducting cold a lot better than air, actually cold air doesn't feel as cold mm-hmm. as... Um, yeah, as the ice bath. So it's better for people to try, like to go for that first because they can yeah, adopt easier and um, don't suffer so much. They don't have this typical reaction of, <gasps> yeah. um, which they might have in the, in the ice bath. So I recommend that for beginners. And also it's great during summertime, obviously. I just said I have a shortage on bath <laughs> in the <laughs> summer. So that's great. But on the energy level, it's obviously bad. So you need to spend a lot of energy. And I think we all are on this planet now more and more concerned about how we spend energy and yeah. resources. So I actually just discovered I need to switch in an energy plug talking about energy. Yeah. Otherwise, you will be gone in a minute. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Mm-hmm. All right. We're back on recording. Slight little pause for, uh, for a battery change there. So. My, my question that I got here is, and, and this is something that a lot of people want me to ask in, in relationship to cryotherapy, is that we know kind of sitting in the sauna, like the research I believe is, is 176 degrees Fahrenheit for 20 minutes. When you look at sauna use in, in a dry sauna, non-infrared sauna, that's where it's kind of narrowed down to. I, I know that there's a lot more research with hot sauna versus cold sauna. But do we know of any kind of sweet spot right now? Because obviously we get to a point where like we want the maximum benefit, you know, without getting to a point of like diminishing returns, you know, for going in there too long or not enough. Um, Is there a sweet spot around there? Say like, you know, uh, minus 110 degrees Celsius for, for three minutes. Like, is that the sweet spot? Is it minus 150 degrees Celsius for three minutes? Like, do we know of anything yet? Or is the research, is there not enough research in cold sauna yet to understand what that sweet spot is? Like the well, the the best researched spot, let's say first the well researched spot is minus 110 degrees because everybody else who is claiming that the temperatures are even lower, um, Actually, we, we are not even sure if the temperatures are lower in these cryosauna um, tops where your head is looking at. And it's not really researched. So I would say, like for cold chambers, uh, always go for the minus 110 ones where your head is exposed as well. And that seems to be the sweet spot for that. But we also know, like making the, like the line now to ice bars, that also cold water has a very, very like anti-inflammatory effect that has also been um, shown in studies um, where um, 
yeah, winter swimmers were researched. Some of them actually did have rheumatic disease or fibromyalgia um, or chronic pain, and they were rating their symptoms and they were a lot lower during the winter season. So, but not only symptom score, like which is like subjective, but also on an objective um, measurement point of view, they could see positive changes in these people. So, I think it doesn't really, it seems to be more important how much in a way your skin temperature <laughs> or your core temperature is cooling down than the medium that is enabling the effect. I, I hope that makes sense. So yeah. like in a way, three minutes in a cold um, tub, like ice water can do probably the same as three minutes in minus 110 degrees of, of cold air. But I have to say, but there are very, very, very little studies that compare these. Like what like a study would be great, for example, that would have like, let's say, 200 people, <laughs> 200 people doing regular ice baths, 200 people doing regular cryosaunas, and 200 people doing regular cold chambers, and then to see what's actually happening there. But that has not been done because it would be great if in the same study with the same measurement tools, with the same data points analyzed and the same data in a way looked at, but it's not existing. So. Yeah, so this kind of brings me back uh, like to a question um, that I guess this can be the, the segue between you know, like, like cold chambers and ice baths. And I guess just, just to clarify, do you agree that most ice baths are about five degrees Celsius? Or what would you say is about, yeah, about five degrees Celsius? Yeah. Um, so how important it, is it for an actual core temperature drop? So I find this to be the, this, the most substantial difference between being in a cold sauna versus being in, in, a, in a cold bath or like an ice bath is that I find that the, the cold sauna is very topical, um, but I feel like the, the cold bath is very mm -hmm. internal. Um, mm -hmm. now do we know what, like, is there more benefit to that intense internal core temperature drop than versus a lot more of a topical application, like being in the cold sauna, like where are we at with the research there? Mm -hmm. Like what we do know is that, um, like if you go into a cold chamber, like usually your core temperature is just dropping, not, not even half a degree. So that is everything that happens. So usually, yes, it's very topical. But for some people, like old people or people that have like skin disorders, um, you know, like eczema on their skin, that can be all they need. Mm. And they have a benefit from that. And I think we really, we are still in a way figuring out what is good for, for, for which disease. And if we have an ice bath for three minutes at five degrees, let's say, um, then usually we have a little bit more of a core body temperature drop. But also here, we need to be in a way care careful. Like in the beginning, we said something, oh, how long have you been in there? Like 10 minutes or more. And like, I like to put in a disclaimer now, everybody that is like hearing that now, please don't have your first ice bath for five or 10 minutes. It will make you 
in a way feel miserable and that's not a great first experience so please start slowly maybe start with cold showers then have cold cold bath and then you know slowly go down to five degrees and then just have a two minute ice bath and even if you have that probably your core temperature <laughs> will go a little bit more down than half a degree mm-hmm. and people like some like you might feel it like with a difference some people start to shiver after the ice bath so that speaks in a way for core temperature drop of maybe around a degree but of course everybody is different so and the studies there have been some studies done but not so much because it's not so pleasant as you can imagine <laughs> to have people sitting in the ice bath and saying like oh you cannot come out you need another 10 minutes we need to measure how much your core body temperature is dropping i mean this research is um, obviously not performed because it's um, you cannot do that with people um so we know a little bit about it but not so much um, and the benefits i think are in a way comparable like the cold chamber and and the ice bath but clear research about that like comparative research no especially when it comes down to disease because we just talked about let's take 200 people for that for a b and c but then if you have you if you bring in disease you would need like 200 more people having that disease having that disease uh, it would be exploding so it has not been done no. Yeah. Um, I want to get kind of real heavy into the into the ice baths um, now, but I want to ask your opinion because I feel like a real Instagram clickbaity um, like topic is like like cold showers. So uh, like where where would you rate like what do you think about cold showers and where would you rate that? Is it like cold shower then cold sauna then ice bath? Is it like cold shower ice bath then cold sauna like how would you personally rate that skill based on any experiences that you have personally had? And again, like we can throw out all these disclaimers. And I really try to always do that is that all this is, is a lot to do with like things that like we've researched our personal opinions and it's obviously going to be different for everybody. And the best thing is to be able to experiment that in a safe way. I'd be able to find these results out. Um, but what have you found out? What's your opinion and mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> for me, like cold showers is the best way to start. Like whenever people ask me like, how do I get started? I say, get started with cold showers. Why, why do you say that? I think it's, it's easy and it's accessible mm. because everybody has a cold, like, I mean, everybody that is listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure also has a shower and can probably have a cold shower. And so you don't need anything. It doesn't cost you anything apart from, <laughs> like a little bit of a strong will and maybe two minutes of your time so i think cold showers are great for starting and they're easy to access they're cheap um and i mean you can have them every day yeah i think that that is a great part about it because i would not recommend people to have an ice bath every day that would be a little bit hard on the system like some people actually get really tired of doing ice baths every every day. I've heard funny stories about people like saying like, oh yeah, I started this message and I'm doing it every day for five minutes and I'm in the ice bath. But now after a month, I just feel drained. I feel sleepy. 
<laughs> and I would say like, okay, well, that's maybe a little bit too overambitious. So always listen to yourself, obviously, when you do things like that and start with cold showers. And there have been some studies about cold shower challenges. Um, also from a um, um, guy in the Netherlands called Buys. And um, he reported that uh, people are less have less sick days sick leave days um, when they are showering cold every morning and he has tested i think three groups or four groups with 30 seconds 60 seconds 90 seconds of cold showers and it looks kind of like the same for all of them so it definitely seems to seems to help to improve your yeah your feeling so time time didn't really matter between the the different control groups 30 seconds 60 seconds and 90 seconds the overall result was the same it was just a simple fact of having a cold shower and the physiological response from being in that cold water it didn't matter how long it was mm -hmm. yeah it may maybe it was like a little bit stronger for the 60 and 90 seconds but even it was already there for the people with who showered cold for 30 for 30 seconds they already were, were like better off than the control so uh, definitely like if people want to get started they can get started with 30 seconds and like just showing off their feet and their hands and then their arms and legs and slowly in a way going to the whole body and the face and then making maybe the temperature a little bit colder so that's what i what i recommend as a starter and after that um like for people who have had that experience now i recommend to have cold dips and like usually like summertime um like when it's starting to become fall and then autumn that's like a great season to to start actually in fall like or late in summer so you can in a way use the temperature drop of the environment to adapt your body slowly and like every week you have like let's say every week on sunday you go with a friend and have a dip and over the time you will adapt your body to the dropping temperature so that's perfect to do and doesn't cost anything as well um, and even so for preparation for like for colder temperatures just outside or every day that you know obviously like you know during springtime there's a conversion uh, like typically of um, brown adipose tissue into white adipose tissue you know, and then in the fall, there's a little bit more of a conversion of um, white adipose tissue into brown adipose tissue, just be able to help generate heat for the body. So obviously brown adipose tissue with having a mitochondria, you know, we say, but like you can, you can speed that process up or stack the cards in your favor a little bit more so that the winter months can be a little bit more uh, pleasant by having like this extra power plant or a little bit more power plants in the body to be able to generate that extra heat and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to actually use that as a way to be able to get into what you're probably now going to think is like the most ridiculous thing on the planet. So this is what we do. We design this tank. It's uh, a stainless steel insulated tank um, that has a circulating pump on it um, that's refrigerated. Um, and we put Epsom salts in it so that we can drop the temperature down. So we actually um, bathe at minus two degrees Celsius. And Ooh. yeah. Um, and we're working down to be able to get it. Uh, we can get it lower than that because the more Epsom salts that you put in it, it prevents it from freezing because last year we actually just kept freezing the tank itself and freezing the pump and all that kind of stuff because obviously the closer it gets to zero, the ice starts to form. Um, and then Pete came up with this just great idea of putting some Epsom salts in it. Um, and yeah, it's allowed us to be able to keep it consistent about like 
minus two, you know, minus three degrees, you know, kind of like depending on the date. Um, and we do between like six and eight minute stretches in it. And not that I suggest this for anybody else. And I'm, this, now I'm not trying to say this is the best case scenario. This is just like what we're doing. Uh, now on the, out of all the other things I'm going to explain, the, one of the things that I've actually really found um, is that if somebody hops into that environment for the, like the first time, no matter how long they do, um, cause we go in the hot tub right after. Um, so we go between like that and then hop into hot tub. So, um, I feel like at a generous, like very bare minimum, you'd want to do about a five to one. So if for every minute you do in the tanks, about five minutes in the, in the hot tub and our hot tub is, um, 104 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever that is in Celsius. I'm not too sure. Um, again, those are the things, right? Like, you know, ones in Celsius, ones in Fahrenheit, I just know these things. So, um, but like, that is what you need is like a minimum to kind of get a little bit of homeostasis back to the body as in like your temperature. But the one thing that I find making that transition is that no matter how cold you are or how cold you feel what's going on in your body, when you get out of the ice bath, when you get into the hot tub for about the first five minutes, your core temperature and your body temperature just plummets even further. Like it's, it like the amount of extra energy that goes like, like just shivery, shaky, like, like you, I've never experienced cold to the degree of sitting in a hot tub right after sitting in, in the ice bath. Now I wish we would have done, um, like you're, you're familiar with DEXA scans, right? Um, like the body imaging scanning where they do, uh, bone density, body composition, body fat. It's a thermal imaging scan. Um, now, I wish I would have done a little bit more on the DEXA scan before like we started really doing a lot of this, um, ice bath because I believe, and I don't have a lot of data to go back on like historically, in my, but I believe my visceral fat may be increasing, um, although mm -hmm. like um, my superficial fat, um, just like obviously subcutaneous, isn't is it isn't really high. Now, I don't know if that visceral fat is increasing to be able to protect my organs because we're ice bathing on a regular basis. Um, I don't, don't really know that at all. Um, just something that I've kind of, I'm starting to track right now um, on my DEXA scans just to kind of see like what that's like, because I'm actually going to do, uh, um, now that we have this baseline established of something that we're, we're going to track as a data point, um, I'm going to do 30 days in the tank at minus two, um, for eight minutes each time, just to see if that fluctuates. Um, a thing that like I noticed with like the more extreme temperatures that, um, I have never slept so well in my life that if I time being in the, in the ice bath, uh, 12 hours roughly before I go to bed, like it's a sleep that's like unparalleled to any, mm -hmm. any deep sleep that I, um, have ever got. And again, if I would have done more 23andMe reports now to see if there had been a shift in my delta waves, um, but I know that my delta waves um, for sleep process are like they read off the charts for like deep sleep. And I think that may or may not have something to do with it. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but like the texture of like our skin is like, like it's so amazing. Like, and like, the, like, like I thought it would almost be a little bit of like the opposite. Uh, I, I would feel like almost like your skin maybe get like a little bit like leathery or like resilient to it, but it's not, it's actually gone completely the opposite way. Um, mm -hmm. And if you time the cycles 24 hours after being in the tank, I get, 
a norepinephrine dump that when I, if I was just sitting here right now, I would giggle like a little child for like, like in bursts of like five minutes. Like I could just talk about something and I would just giggle uncontrollably for like Mm -hmm. an extended period of time. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the effects of being in, if you wanted to check from a day standpoint, um, the day you sit in it, great day two is the best. Day three, you can feel the effects starting to trickle off. Day four, you'd have to definitely get back in to kind of keep that cycle going. Um, now that's all like the madness that we we are doing. Um, at whatever your brain is going through right now, throw some stuff out there. Uh, <laughs> let me know about what you think about all that. Uh, I think you guys are amazing. It's like I would love to try it. I obviously would love to try it. Like. You know, there's still like there's definitely a part in me that is very adventurous. Like you know, watching them going up Schneeshka um, in shorts, and I'm thinking like I need to do that. So I have the same feeling. I would love to try it. Um, and I'm happy that all of you are like still like obviously fine and happy and healthy because I wrote in my book like guys be very careful with water and salt because like our our skin our cells can start to freeze at about minus two degrees mm-hmm. so that's where you would get actually like um like freeze burns yeah so I, i'm happy that none of you experience that luckily because i'm really like always i say like some people here in, in europe and germany love to go barefoot also in the winter on the streets and sometimes like we put salt on the streets to to melt the snow and then you they can walk really, like, bare feet in the streets in yeah. the winter time. Yeah, That's like incredible. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> yes, you should try it. I mean, it's great for the feet. Like, like it's, it's awesome. Like, obviously, start slowly um, and be a, be a, be aware of um, streets that have been salted, mm-hmm. like to to melt the snow, because then you in a way have the same thing as in your tank, but actually there you can reach temperatures temperatures of minus 20 degrees celsius um, which in a way is really leading to freeze burns within a few minutes mm-hmm. so be very careful so that is one thing that i have in my mind but i'm very happy to see you like obviously not <laughs> your, your, your skin looks nice as you said um, no burns so that is that is a relief um, so that was one thought that i have um, the other thought was oh you shivering so much in the hot tub I mean, that's like a typical afterdrop, how we call it. Like probably you have looked up the, the way how it works, but when you put your body into the cold water, like everything is vasoconstricting, like all the blood flow is stopped to your skin and to your fingers, to your limbs, to preserve heat into, in your core. Um, then if you go directly into the hot tub, which we actually don't recommend, like, like every Wim Hof instructor would say like, my god no that's not what you do you should not do it like always like after a cold bath get warm on your own um because that's how you actually feel the power that your body has you you don't need a hot tub you don't need a sauna your body can do it um itself so but if you do it what can happen as blake described is like you're shivering to death although you're sitting in a hot tub and that's because all the cold blood which was in your hand and feet um, your body thinks, oh, it's warm again. I'm opening up. So it's vasodilation. And the whole cold blood from your, your hands and feet goes into your core. And it's mixing with the warm blood in your core. And that's when you sh- start shivering because suddenly there's cold blood in your core. And 
for people like you and me, healthy people without heart disease, it's no problem. Mm. But for people actually with heart problems, they actually the heart wouldn't like it to get the cold blood. Okay. <laughs> so that might cause arrhythmias. So that's why always as Wim Hof instructors, I need to say, careful here. <laughs> Be careful. Um, so that's what I'm thinking. But as I said in the beginning, I would love to try it. So, um, but that's, you know, side note, like the, <laughs> the, the Wim Hof instructor speaking and Josephine speaking, sometimes it's um, two different voices. Um, yeah. See, and like, that's the, the next round of, so like we're, we're running like, like several different experiments. Like, like one was just like, okay, well, like what do we feel like is kind of like our threshold at this, this temperature in like eight minutes to me, is like I feel like seven minutes is kind of optimal like eight minutes you kind of start to push it it, it just seems like you're getting a little bit too long like the exhaustion level is too high like you know and I equate that with the amount of energy that your body's burning to try to be able to essentially just stay alive like at that point in time so like like you're, you're just too fatigued the rest of the day um mm -hmm. you know but and then you know so we kind of figured that out and then it was more like we only started going into the hot tub because like in I don't know if you've ever felt this sensation, but everybody who ice baths with us in the, in these tanks, because <clears throat> we have a few of them. Um, and um, so your body will, it'll feel like your muscles are warm. Your skin is warm, but there's almost like this, like subcutaneous layer of liquid that is chilled and it's cold all day long, but it's not like you're cold. But it's almost like you're wearing an exosuit of something mm -hmm. that is cold. It's very weird. And I only can equate it to that it's almost like your fascia is cold and the rest of you is warm. Like mm -hmm. it's the only correlation, like, and it may be valid, it may be completely invalid. It's the only thing that I can think of that I can draw a logical conclusion to um, or what seems logical at this point in time. And it's very hard to get rid of that unless it's like, wait, and, and I don't know, because there's obviously no research at these kind of temperatures, right? Like a lot of it's all at that five degrees. Well, at five degrees, I could sit in there like all day long. Like it just, it doesn't seem that cold to me anymore now that we've been doing it at minus two. Like it's a yeah. substantial, <laughs> substantial difference. Um, but I feel like walking around um, heats me up enough, like reheats me enough, like at, at five degrees. You know, maybe just like some moderate calisthenics or something like, you know, like a little workout, just, you know, like nothing significant or just a, enough time goes by where, you know, like your body just naturally reheats itself. But at like these kinds of temperatures, like you can go like an entire 24 hour time period, wake up the next morning and you still are cold. Um, so then like that's where it gets to the point of like, you know, are we at the point of diminishing returns? You know, like what's the, um, is there benefit behind this? Is there not benefit behind this? And again, we don't have anybody to actually really track this. What we're trying to do right now is just intensely track our transactions in relationship to like how we feel, like what's going on in the body. So that when we have an opportunity to be able to talk to somebody like you, that hopefully, you know, like, you know, through like the hours the, or the minutes, the hours, the days and the weeks that come, you might be like, hey, would you mind tracking this or like you know now, now that that information is in there because um we actually want to try to gain get it funding to be able to commission a study um and where we want to do um like three men 
and three women of like a healthy population because we're all very athletic. Um, and we, so we want to find the female counterparts to that with no underlying health conditions that we're aware of um, and put in this and actually do like a research study um, on it to see like, like what is it? Because again, like there's so much for sauna, but there's, or hot sauna, but there's not too much for like cold therapies. And especially like at the, at these temperatures and really try to roll that out. Um, because I know how I feel like I would say nothing has ever brought emotional balance to my life. Like what cold therapy has mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it, like, and that's just, if that was the only thing that could happen from being mm -hmm. um, in cold therapy, that alone to me would be beneficial, you know, for the majority of our population, because arguably, I don't know what it's like in Germany, but we know here in North America, like mental health is at its all time worst that's ever been in any kind of recorded history. So like yeah. if everybody just got, did some rounds, like in a, in an ice bath to some extent to get that effect, I feel like we would be substantially further ahead as a population than like what we are now in just emotional well-being, but it just so happens that there's these ton of other physiological effects that you know if you are an athlete, you know with the reduction of inflammation, if you do have arthritis, it's a reduction of inflammation. If you do have you know um, irritable bowel disease, like you know then you're gonna have a reduction of inflammation. Like there's all of these other spinoffs too, but just that alone I find to be incredible. Do you personally notice or have you noticed like? a stabilization of emotional well-being when you're regularly going um in the ice bath it definitely makes happy like makes me happy for sure like when i when i have a cold cold shower in the morning it makes me awake it makes me happy makes me turned on in a way and that's also due to no adrenaline or you or you said like no epinephrine which is the same thing mm -hmm. um like it is like the hormone which is always up during the day and low in the night. And in a way, like having a cold shower, a cold dip is like switching on your body clock into like, oh, it's on, it's daytime yeah. now. Um, so that makes awake and definitely makes happy. Like noradrenaline is one of the happy, happy mood um, hormones as well. And um, I, I recommend like everybody who has like problems with, with depression or depressed like episodes of um, not feeling so well or having like a low mood, I, I recommend um, cold showers, cold dips for the face, in addition to, of course, a therapy um, if, if needed. And I, I, for myself, it's part of our, it's part of our life. It's part of our routine, like either having um, cold showers in the morning and in the winter, like we have a community, like a winter bathing community and the lake gets around like two to three degrees here in Potsdam and in, in yeah, <laughs> a little town I'm living in and in Germany. And we like very much enjoy that. And it's like a huge community by now of people that do it like on Sundays, um, Oh, with us, cool. like having having a dip and it's also the community effect i think that also contributes maybe in your case as well like you have a group of people that you trust you do it together you have a mission and um i think also the uh, that's also a huge part of it like the yeah. doing it together now uh like a, a quick question around the, the ice bath so take like five degrees and i know outside of like personal experience and like in private like has there been any research done on, you know, about like that five degrees um, Celsius in, in the ice bath, like a period of time of having the best um, 
physiological like gene expression like is there is there a time that has been kind of like you know five degrees for five minutes or five degrees for is there like you know based on like that five degrees celsius is there anything that we know from a research uh perspective of a time frame you know like four minutes five minutes six minutes like outside of just personal experience or just well-being has there been any research done on on a time frame of like kind of like what's the best or are we just completely personal experience at this point in time still the the problem with studies is like there has there have been many studies on cold water exposure but the temperatures are always different like you you find studies about water with three degrees four degrees five degrees six seven eight nine ten uh, and, and above obviously and um you find also different time frames so two two minutes three minutes five minutes six minutes seven minutes it's like it's totally it doesn't like if i when i had a look to the to the science while writing the book i was back at my phd i was like no it's not comparable like yeah. i that's the worst thing that can happen in studies like if you cannot compare the studies because they have taken yeah different times different temperatures um obviously different um people like some groups were healthy some groups were had an illness and they took men they took women some took sportsmen which is again another group and it is horrible to look at to be very honest um but there have been some meter studies meter studies means that some researchers have taken all of the studies that are around and compared them and they see that they looked also for the parameters that were measured in all of the studies and they see that cold water <laughs> in between 10 to 5 degrees seems to have positive effects if you go in there for an amount of time that equals the degree in celsius so they say if you have five degree water go in five minutes if you have six degrees six minutes um yeah. and so on so, so if it's but, negative temperatures i don't even need to go in it at all no <laughs> you just need to look at it yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, like i i haven't read any study with minus uh, minus degrees in water mm -hmm. not at all no did not cross my 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 eye but yeah. it would be so interesting. Like so my sure. question to, to you, like as a research scientist, if you were hired to perform a study on people like us in this serial, what are the data points that you would personally want to be tracking? Mm -hmm. Like the first thing, very obviously, is, and that might be like a disappointment to you, but I would choose people where I'm sure that I can get a baseline. Mm. And you have ruined your baseline, Blake. Like you're <laughs> yeah. not baseline. Um, yeah. I'm sorry to say that, but you're not. So um, you need to have people that have not done ice baths. Yeah. And measure from there. Like whatever you like to measure, if it's like body composition or if it's, of course, inflammation. Um, also, symptom score could be nice. Mood could be nice. Um, a brown fat could be nice brown fat activation but it's so hard to do that but yeah so you need a good baseline because otherwise i'm not sure if you can measure something because you're already up so you know it's, yeah. it's hard then so that's the one thing um i would obviously choose for at least 12 people like 
maybe 15 people um, in the one group and then you obviously need a control group and you said that you like to include women which i love because women are like not researched at all like especially especially women in my age like which is a fertile age um yeah. they are not researched like if there's um research on women it's usually women like being in their menopause like having no cycle anymore mm -hmm. because otherwise you have the in a way like screw up of hormones going up and down and if you measure hormones in your study yeah you're in a way screwed up if you take women in like if you take women in that are in their in their like fertile phase of their life then you have the hormones and you would need to adjust the one and always you can only measure on day one like always after 28 days if that makes sense yeah yeah because otherwise you're you're screwing it up so yes. that is one recommendation here or you would take as usually is done women that don't have a cycle yeah some sports women don't have a cycle so maybe you're lucky to find some <laughs> yeah, you. Finding, you know, i guess like some like um athletic women kind of you know below that that 13 to 15 percent body fat range where most women typically lose their their cycle mm -hmm. and stuff every month right um exactly because like one thing that i actually find really interesting about um doing a research study on women in relationship to cold therapy is how increased estrogen levels um affect adipose tissue production um when it when exposed to like frigid cold water temperatures um below zero degrees and then how that in conjunction with like the hormone regulation or deregulation of um like female hormones because female hormones like there there's an abundance of hormones that are going through a female's body like like what does that do because you're like mm -hmm. there, there's there's so much room for like well i i see the rabbit hole in it because there's so many you're different again broken, areas. like the soul last part like I got fragments and I liked the fragments, but yeah. <laughs> but I did not get the full message. Yeah, it basically I just say like there for for a, a woman, I feel like there's more things to be able to research and, and study than what there would be for a man because of how um like women's hormones are so directly linked to the amount of fat on their body, their body fat percentage. Um there we ah, now you now you're back. Yeah, I think Zoom kicked us off or uh the feed was just bad. So I think Zoom kicked us off there a little bit, but um, it's still recording right now. I'll just edit this uh, section out after. Uh, but basically the, the point that I was trying to make, it'd be really interesting to be able to study like, like women because their, hor or their hormone levels are so directly correlated with their body fat percentage, the amount of fat on their body. And then arguably like the cold, um, the cold water and therapy may or may not increase um the amount of fat that's on their body as like a physiological response saying like i'm being repeatedly exposed to cold so i might need to be able to increase my fat production does that increase or decrease their estrogen levels like does it increase or decrease their body fat percentage do they have hormone like dysregulation or re-regulation like like there, there is so interesting because there's just there's so much going on in a female body compares to like a, a man's body like i feel like for like a man you're just like you're like, am I good? Good. All right, bro. Let's go do this. But like from like a, like a gene expression perspective, like there's just, there's so much to be able to gain from studying a, a, in a like that environment in a woman's body for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Like I would, I would be, it would be so great to study that because 
like I, I would love to, to like would love to know for myself like from what I observe with me and with others is that I rather have the feeling that cold water therapy um, is in a way making me like lose lose in a way um, weight yeah like I have the feeling like when I when I spend a week in Poland where I'm teaching and having regular cold exposure I feel like my hunger goes up like I definitely have more appetite I need to eat more I need to sleep more um and I have the feeling that I lose weight Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure what kind of um you know what I'm losing if I'm losing fat or muscles Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely I would say I lose weight. So no gaining of, of fat. Um, but there might be, in- there might be a conversion. Like, and this is my thing that we're like studying it through the DEXA scan is that we may like lose weight, like subcutaneous fat, but do we gain visceral fat? Mm-hmm. Like you could, you wouldn't really notice Like there's no way to be able to check that unless you're getting something like, you know, like thermal imaging scanning, like a DEXA scan. Mm-hmm. And is that happening as like a defense mechanism because we keep plummeting like our core temperature down too much. It's just in like a result to be able to protect the body. But I do agree with you though that, and obviously the science tells us that, you know, we're burning more energy through the rest of the day. Our resting metabolic rate goes up because, you know, like we're trying to re-regulate, you know, we have more uh, conversion of, again, like we talked about like white adipose tissue into brown adipose tissue, which then becomes these little power pads. You're burning more calories, you know, all day long because of that as well. Um, and then I just find like if you are doing stuff like cold water therapy, you're probably the type of person who's going to be a little bit more active anyway, and just be a little bit more conscious. And like you said, if you're eating more, you're probably eating healthier options. You're sleeping more, which we know that sleep is a, a key regulator for weight loss and stuff too. So you see how they, again, they're all interconnected and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, and I would, I would be very interested in, in that, in that study, like, um, it would be yeah. interesting, but then again, like it's a subset of women. It's a subset of women that don't have their their cycle anymore, mm-hmm. and we we still cannot really like we still cannot really compare that with women that have a cycle. We cannot even compare it with women that are on birth control. Also, that's another thing you need to make sure, like that your women are not on birth control, because then it might be again like a whole different thing, because the whole cortisol response of women taking birth control is different. So it's another thing it's like it's very hard to study women i can in a way like the researcher in me can understand why science is not done on women (laughs) (laughs) but the women in me is obviously very annoyed at that fact yeah yeah that that is not happening yeah i wish you were just planning like a six month long uh work vacation to vancouver and then we could run some studies and stuff like that and just kind of just do like some spare and set some groundwork in uh and so, cause it just sounds like you'd be like the perfect person I would to work with and, you know, just like the road that we're, we're headed down and stuff, because it's, uh, I, I find it's really hard to find somebody like you, like it, it's really easy to find people who are interested in doing like ice baths, but you know, like people who are like molecular biologists and like, you know, have their PhD, like they're interested, like it is a very, very small pool of people. Um, there, there's not a lot of them in the world. So you're definitely a very unique person to be able to come across. Oh, thank you. I would actually, I would love to, like, I would love to, like, the adventurous um, part of me was like, yeah, I want to try it. I want to, you know, like, connect more, try it out, and um, supervising and being part of the study would be so interesting, for sure. 
for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know it's getting late there and uh, I have uh, another podcast to do in the half an hour, but I could keep you on the, on the line forever, but I, I, I feel like um, I could just data dump and just download you. Like it, it's, it's crazy. I, I just don't want to burn you out either with all the intense questions and stuff that, that, that I have. And, but I, I would love to be able to connect again, to be able to explore some of these topics I'm into a little bit more, more detail. And then um, we also like to you know, talk about your book a little bit more too. So um, I want you to throw like some websites and social media handles and, and talk about your book because I know there's only a German version of, of your book right now, right? Like we talked mm -hmm. about that before. Exactly. Like, are you planning on doing like a, like an audible version or is there an English version coming out? Like, is there any, any option for us non-German speaking or reading so, people? To so the option is, and that would, some, would be something that I would love. Like if by any chance there's a listening, somebody who's a publisher, please write my publisher, like of the book, the healing power of the cult, the, the Heilkraft der Kälte, that you would love to translate it. Um, like the rights are owned by the German publishing group. It's, always like this like some yeah. authors who who listen they recognize that's the thing how it, how it goes so they have the the rights and but they're happy to sell them yeah. and, and then there could be an english version like i get asked by so many people i would love that there's an english version um contact me i bring you in contact with my um project group who um yeah at the publishing group in germany and maybe we can make it happen. That would, yeah, be, amazing. That would be amazing. So I would, I would love that. Um, but I do post on Instagram. I mean, that's also how we like connect and found yeah. each other. Um, I do post on Instagram in English. Also, I, I actually, I always switched and swapped a little bit. And nowadays, like since I don't know a year, I post in English and German because yeah. there was always somebody says like, oh no, I cannot understand it. It's German. And then the German said like. I'm not so good in English. It's English. And so I, <laughs> I post now in English and German. So please follow me there at jo yeah, Josephine Wozek. It's my name. Easy to find. Um, happy to yeah, share their knowledge with you also in English. And I think that's the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. Like my website is also my name, josephinewozek.com. It's mostly German. It has a little English part. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah. And all those things will be listed in, in the, in the, the write up in the bio, like underneath, um, like our podcast when it gets, uh, when it gets aired and stuff too. So, mm -hmm. um, like all that information will be there, spelling of name, the book title and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but, um, yeah, I just, I absolutely appreciate your time so much. And, um, I really look forward to roping you into having another conversation with me, um, in the near future. For sure. I'm happy yeah. to do that. I also feel like we could have talked for hours. Like I still yeah. feel like some topics were just scratched and we could dive in a lot deeper. So yeah, happy to do that again. Yeah. And that, and that's actually what I relate to. Cause I like, I find that, um, when I do these, so like I'll, I'll find like a pretty intense topic that where there's multiple areas. Um, and I know a lot of listeners said, cause like right now they're probably going through and saying, well, like that's a lot of information to absorb. Um, so then what I've typically done in the past is we have like this big kind of overview one like this and then break it down into individual categories into, you know, more like 30 to 45 minute podcasts after that, where we talk about just the singular topics in mm -hmm. each one. So it's an easier reference to be able to go back mm -hmm. to them and kind of explore what each one of those, uh, what each one of those means and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, 
outside of this, I'm going to send you an email too, because like, I, I would really like to get some like clarity on some like data um, points that like would be like measurable results that somebody like you would be interested in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because I would just like to kind of like really set some good groundwork to what a, what a good study, you know, may look like um, because it's something that we seriously are trying to do here um, amongst all of us is, is gain some funding to be able to start doing some, some studies um, just because we all, like are just so thoroughly convinced of like the positive effects of just like cold water immersion, um, no matter what that temperature may be or the length of time, but we just know the intense amount of benefit that there is to be able to have that cold water exposure. And it's something that uh, we feel just needs way more legs because there's just, there's not a lot of narrative behind it at all. Um, you know, unless if people are like, you know, see somebody like Wim Hof or, you know, like, you know, hear a podcast that he's done or, you know, just, you know, something along those lines. But like outside of that, there's just not a lot of legs to it. Um, and we want to help uh, be a part of those legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Okay. Happy to help. Okay. Well, have a wonderful <laughs> night. Yeah. Um, you have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye.